This episode of the Socks and Sandals podcast is brought to you by Mr. OK's Essentials. Mr. OK's is 100% black owned. Uh, you all have heard, if you haven't heard, the owner, the creator of Mr. OK's Essentials was on the Socks and Sandals podcast episode 101. So check it out. But uh, Mr. OK's provides 100% natural candles, body butter and soap. OK, 100% natural ingredients, 100% black owned and 100% vibes and love poured into every product. All right, now go to the website, www.mrokesessentials.com. In the checkout, enter promo code SOCKS to receive 10% off your next order, okay? Once again, go to the website, get your candles, get your butter, get your soap, get right, and enter promo code SOCKS, S-O-X, and receive 10% off your next order. I wanted to be black, to be honest. That's all I ever wanted. Especially since one, one day growing up, I met an American, and, uh, and he was shocked that in South Africa we had all these titles. And he, he said to me, he said, well, you know, Trevor, if you, you go out to America, they'll, they'll label you as black. And I said, really? He was like, oh, hell yeah. <laughs> yeah, buddy, everybody's black out there, yeah. You'd be super black. <laughs> oh, well, that sounds good to me. Super black. Yeah. And I made a choice. It's like, first chance I get, I go out to America. I'm going to get a piece of that black. <laughs> and I did. Boarded a flight. It was an 18-hour journey, Johannesburg to New York. I didn't sleep a wink. I just sat there in my chair like a madman, watching every single black American movie I could find. Just sitting there, going crazy, practicing. Like, yeah, 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 you know what I mean? You know what I mean? Yeah. King Kong ain't got shit on me. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, sorry? Oh, the chicken, please. The chicken. Thank you. What up, what up? I want to welcome you all back to the Socks and Sandals podcast, where society, culture, history, and religion collide, and we unapologetically discuss our worldviews. It's your guy, Emmanuel. I'm back. I'm not in the kitchen. I'm upstairs in my bedroom because it's in the middle of the day. My kids is home, and I just needed a quiet place to record. But uh, I got my got my partner on the line with me, man. He's, he's joining the podcast for the first time. Man, uh, me and his brother go back a solid let's see where i'm 34 i probably met you in high school so a solid 17 18 years ago man going back to mount Olivet baptist church man cell group life group all that good stuff my guy austin schneider say what's up to the people bro hey folks how you doing where where man appreciate you coming on man um this was a this was like a long time coming man you've been you've been supporting from from day one bro so i definitely appreciate all that bro of course yeah, man. So tell the listeners really quickly a little bit about who you are, where you're from, and what's a typical day in the life of Austin Schneider. Yeah, of course. I'm a 33-year-old male from Portland, Oregon. Um, married, three boys, one recently born about a month ago. Um, professional salesperson as, as of now. Um, I work for a large multinational beverage corporation, um, and I live in uh, outside Boise, Idaho right now, but we just moved here in 2016, um, 2019 now, because uh, I got a promotion in that organization. So um, it's been a fast ride for a while. That's but what's yeah. Up. yeah, man. How, how you liking it out there in, in Idaho, bro, compared to it's Oregon? It's quite a change. Yeah. It's quite a change, to, to put it mildly, um, especially given that we arrived in 2016, um, the prior presidential um 
the prior president versus the, the current president, I actually have seen a lot of political and climate, you know, political climate change and stuff like that mm. in the area. That's, that's of note. But beyond that, um, it's beautiful. It's arid, um, high desert community. Um, when we moved here, the housing prices were incredibly low compared to Portland. That was a big motivator. Word. We were able to buy a home um, in about a year once we got out here. So that's been great. Like I said, we have three boys. So um, economically, it made a lot of sense. And it's yeah. a great area in that regard, too. And and fast growing alongside Oregon. Yeah, man. That's that's what's up, bro. I, yeah, Real estate prices out here is wild, man. Everything. Like what, what part of Portland did you grow up in again? Um, a little bit all over. I was kind of grew up in North Portland overlook until I was about 10 um, off the interstate. And then I moved into Southeast, like the Mount Tabor area Okay. Um, for my adolescence. Yeah. Yeah. All of them areas is expensive, bro. Like <laughs> <laughs> all of them areas is expensive. It don't matter where you at. Like, so uh, me and my wife, we, we moved out here to Kenton in the Kenton area, um, 2015. And we were fortunate to find the house that we did, you know, at that time. And, and we just jumped on it real quick, just made an offer the next day, you know. But, um, yeah, this whole area, man, just all over Portland, everything is mad expensive, bro. Like, mm-hmm. I grew up 97211, like, inner northeast. Yeah. And every house over there is a cool 450, half a million. And that's, like, to start, <laughs> if not right. 600, 700,000. Yeah. So, yeah, bro, you probably you probably made the best move by going out there and getting more bang for your buck. Well, I mean, it, it, at the time, it, it felt like a temporary transition and oh, yeah. the right move career-wise. And, you know, we were both employed. Now, <clears throat> I'm employed. My wife is a, a stay-at-home mom, an mm-hmm. amazing, supportive. Um, I mean, that's her job. So, Word. she, um, we definitely have different outlooks three years in. And as the family grows, your ideals change and your priorities change. And, um yeah, I think we're definitely um, we definitely want to stay in the northwest or this area. Yeah. But um, yeah, you kind of want to slow things down when you start to have kids, and that's where I feel. Yeah, that, honestly, for sure. Well, yeah, man, it's 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 been crazy, bro. I don't even know if you had. I don't know. The last time I seen you, bro, was at the fight of the century, <laughs> Buffalo that's Wild right. Wings. <laughs> that's right. Fight of the century, bro. I seen yeah. you out there at B Dubs. How how long ago was that? Did you already have uh Man, your oldest? I think I had been and Keisha might have just gotten pregnant with um our second, Jack. Word. Yeah. yeah. That was probably what, 2015? Tw- 20, uh, 20, tw- a long time ago. Floyd and Manny Pacquiao. I could probably Google it. But yeah, that was that was a solid at least probably four years ago. Yeah, yeah. So that was last time, so that was probably right before y'all moved, huh? Wow, that was a good fight too. You, I didn't, I didn't really. It didn't live up to the hype for me, bro. You know, it didn't. Yeah, nah, like the fight fact that I had that we had to go there early, get our wristbands, come back, you know, pay to get in, all that type of stuff. And in that fight, I'm like, all right, fight of the century. Come on, man. <laughs> the best, the best marketing of all time, bro. Yeah, Floyd was good for that. Um, but yeah, man, so let's, let's, let's get into it, man. Uh, I brought you on or you, you know, you accepted the challenge, man. I put it out there on all the socials. 
um, and just let everybody know what I was trying to do, man. And you were one of the first p- people to respond. So I definitely appreciate that. And so basically, you know, I was looking for people to share stories um, on, on the topic of racial identity and or colorism. Uh, I feel like, you know, race, the social construct of race causes a lot of confusion for those that are not white. And uh, I think that's a part of the plan, a part of the program. Uh, and, you know, a lot of people are disenfranchised because of it. Uh, I don't believe that there is anything positive or there's not too much positive. The, the positive doesn't outweigh the negative, in my opinion, when it comes to racial classification. I wish that there was a better way to do things. Uh, I don't have the answers. I'm hoping through all these discussions, we can come up with some answers. But um, on that journey of coming up with the answers, I just wanted to talk to folks um, that wanted to to share their stories of, you know, a tragedy, the triumph of their internal and external struggles with their racial identity, man. So um, this is a very sensitive topic, bro. And I appreciate you volunteering, you know, to, to share your story. No doubt, man. So. Um, just for the folks that don't know, tell everybody, you know, what's your, um, ethnic background and, and how do you identify? Yeah, actually, I'm, um, I'm actually, as I've gotten older, learned more about my ethnic heritage, which has been really helpful for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, my father is African-American um, mm-hmm. as, as many Africans, African-Americans are, he's, um, an eighth native American Apache in mm-hmm. his family. My family um, was raised in the South. So uh, my mother's Caucasian. She's a white woman mm-hmm. um, of European and British descent. Um, she's got dark hair and blue eyes. And my father's, you know, he's an African-American man. He's not as handsome as I am, but he's a good looking guy. <laughs> Word. You know? so. <laughs> and how do you how do you personally identify? Yeah, I identify as biracial, multiracial mixed um half black um yeah there's certain words i don't use to describe myself mm-hmm. you know i i don't i mean i guess if i'm it depends on the conversation but i guess I, i'll slip in a light skin depending on a you know the company um, <laughs> what 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 company uh, uh kind of solicits the light skin you know and it's funny that you <laughs> mention that because honestly <laughs> It just depends, right? On the on the on the company. I mean, but honestly it's we we choose certain terminology based on who we're with. Yeah. And that's we choose as as somebody who's multiracial, we we choose um Yeah, we're fortunate in that regard. I guess we get to choose how we um describe ourselves to yeah. the people that we're with because we we have to kind of be in tune with their 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 morality or their their lexicon yeah yeah man so tell me about childhood you know growing up um mm-hmm. like was it was it challenging did you know that you were different did you have to explain yourself to kids mm-hmm. you know how did that how did that play out for you yeah so i wasn't conscious i don't think you know i've never really given thought to when i became conscious of the fact that I was not white. Mm. So initially um, you kind of thought you were white? I mean, everybody always just told me how, how they loved my curly hair and my blue eyes. Mm. And I never really put 
it all together. Mm. You know? Everybody just said he's so beautiful. Oh my gosh! Like, so I modeled as a child for Hannah Anderson and Nike and like you know other companies and stuff like that because I had a unique look. Yeah. But I didn't know there was a term for it. Mm. You know, I yeah. just thought I was who I was. My father was black. I knew that. Um, but you know, he wasn't around. I was raised by a single white woman, so she didn't understand racial identity. She yeah. didn't know how to teach me how to be a black man. So. I was just her kid. It wasn't a thing, which honestly is probably a huge blessing. Mm. Why do you say that? <clears throat> well, not to say that not having my father wasn't awful. Mm-hmm. Um, and not to say that having my father to teach me wouldn't have been amazing growing up because I didn't really have a relationship with my father after infancy um, or into my, I guess I was 12, mm-hmm. when we reconnected. Mm-hmm. So I guess having a mom who was just so worried about being a mom that she didn't worry about race and racism mm-hmm. and all of that was a good thing. Yeah. She let me be a kid. Um, at the same time, having her have that talk with me at some point, may have done me some good. I don't know. Yeah. But I can definitely tell you <clears throat> in the time that I spent with my father as a child, um, we were definitely perceived as black. And yeah. I was aware of that. Mm. You're saying like when you were out with him? Yeah. So how did you, how did you, how did that feel? Like when you were first, like when when did you first realize that you were black and and what was that like being out and being perceived that way and and knowing that people are looking at you differently and treating you differently it changes um i mean it changes your identity mm. to the core mm. to be honest yeah. i mean it has to right yeah so when you've known life one way and then you're introduced to people who by no direction of your own introduce the concept of race to you. It, it changes things. Mm-hmm. And, it, and I, I mean, it definitely did for me, but luckily I was able to kind of settle into my role as being biracial pretty early on. Mm-hmm. Excuse me. So what did, what does that mean for you? Settling, to, settling into that role. Yeah, so so like you said, um, when you're a child, right? Like I, I remember playing in the street off of Overlook in North Portland. Yeah, and I remember being with my friends, and we were all still playing cap guns and cowboys and Indians and cops and robbers, right? Mm-hmm. Like, there's no concept of race at that point. Right. All the kids are different races. My neighbor's Asian. Three of the kids are white. I'm what I am, and that's that. But as you grow up. <clears throat> and somebody is at a, you're at a restaurant with your dad and the waitress says something and you hear your dad say something and somebody else says something and then you put two and two together and all of a sudden you're like oh oh yeah that's right I'm black mm. you have a moment where you're in the middle mm. and for a lot of biracial people I think we feel like we're in the middle and honestly 
I mean, we can touch on that more, but I feel like being in the middle sometimes is a blessing and a curse for people who are mixed. Mm-hmm. So for me, being biracial, um, I talk to people like differently. Like if I'm talking to, um, like to you on this podcast, we're mm-hmm. friends, we're your listeners. I consider, you know, your friends, your supporters. And so, um, like you get me. Whereas yeah. if I'm at work, um, I'm me. But when I'm talking to my supervisor, <laughs> he's getting suit and tie Austin. Where? Well, yeah, the, the code switching is real for, uh, for if you was fully black too. So, <laughs> right. That's what I'm saying. Like we all have to kind of yeah code switching exactly. Thank you. Yeah. So, um. The other thing that's kind of weird, though, being biracial is is forgetting about it. Mm. That's kind of a that's kind of something that you don't get to enjoy. You know, being a person of, of you know, like being fully black, as right. you may say, or, or you know, direct African American descent, whatever you may call it. But basically, like I might forget. Like I'm at a I'm at a I'm at a a doctor's appointment for my son. Mm-hmm. And the nurse says I'm wearing a hat and I have a big beard. And I'm in a hoodie and a pair of shorts and flip flops. Mm-hmm. And the nurse isn't really paying attention. And because she hasn't really like looked at me, she mm-hmm. says, where did your kids get this curly hair to my wife? Who's a white person. Wow. And so I turn around and I say, well, I'm half black. So it's like this quick moment of rage followed mm-hmm. by like understanding. And then, um, you have to remember it's naivety, like for the most part. Yeah. But, but like I said, I guess, I guess, um, passing is something that I, I do get to enjoy as a person of mixed race. Do you find that you have to explain your identity a lot to people? Oh, all the time. Yeah. Oh, all the time. Yeah. Because, um, I might not tell somebody what being biracial means to me. But it is important for people to understand if there's someone that I'm going to engage in discussion with that my father is of African-American descent and that my mother is Caucasian. Mm-hmm. And that's all I say about it. And I let let the, you know, let the cookie crumble. Right. So you just kind of kind of got to set a baseline with people yeah. and then just go from there. Yeah. But it's it's wild, like how we have to. We have to let people know mm-hmm. who we are so that because once they know who we are, then they'll treat us accordingly. Right. As opposed to exactly. just treating you like you should be treated, you know, <laughs> and so. Yeah. So I'm I'm sure with well, I don't, I don't, I don't want to assume, but like, do you are you in like at work or maybe not at work, like just out? just a random place like at the park with, with some parents or something. And while you watching your kids play and then you hear somebody say some type of racist joke about black people. Mm, So for the most part, I've gotten, that hasn't happened to me. It's happened to me where people have said it on purpose though. What you mean? Like people will say something to piss me off. Wow. yeah, like that happens. Like we've all had those moments though, right? Like 
I mean, I think for the most part, I haven't. I haven't had a white person try to piss me off on on purpose, like racially. Um, but when I was, when I was in sales, but I was doing more over the phone type stuff, like over the phone, uh, like a, a old 60, 70 something year old white person might think I'm a white guy, you know what I mean? And so I'm talking to them and they're telling, uh, like bad jokes about black people or they're making comments about Obama and they think I'm about to agree. And then once they don't get that, that rhythm from me, they kind of realize that, oh, wait, uh, <laughs> exactly exactly right so um so but i don't i don't have people directly try to get under my skin like that you know what i mean mm-hmm. and that's i mean i have had an awful experience with racial prejudice man to be honest so i just don't know why i'm just unlucky what you mean i i mean in in life i i, I mean i don't want to take up too much time but, but no yeah, you good I, you got plenty of time on my end yeah, so, uh, I mean, you know, it's basically, it's, it's, I take note of all this stuff, not just like the racial climate that we're in right now, the political climate that we're in right now. I let the Obama jokes, you know, that kind of stuff fly, but like, um, part of being biracial is being confused with other races. So, like, when I was younger, let's call it 2008, mm-hmm. neighbors of my girlfriend called the cops because they thought I was an Arab terrorist. Wow. So there's that. But then like at times, like somebody will say something like, don't forget your turban or something like that. People are just genuinely confused by my race at times. And so they say really dumb shit. Yo, that's wild. I never seen, I mean, I know you, but like, why would you ever think I was Arab? Yeah, that's crazy, bro. <laughs> so, I mean, but yeah, so that kind of stuff has happened. I mean, me and a good friend of mine got, we got jumped by neo-Nazis in Grant Park in like 2004. Dang. And, you know, the subject of their verbal abuse to me was that my mother was a race traitor. You know what I mean? That stuck with me, I would say. I mean, we wow. got through that. It's all good now. But like, you know, that kind of stuff happened. Um, I actually probably should dig into that too much. But basically, yeah, they, you know, I've had experiences in life that have definitely shaped my perception of hatred and racial bigotry. So, bro, how do you how do you cope though? Like, how who who do you talk to? Who do you go to? It used to be alcohol up until like nine years ago, and then I got sober. Um, so the 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 racial discrimination and bigotry towards you will lead you to drink. I mean, I mean, I definitely no. I wouldn't say that that definitely. But no, I'm I'm not saying like as a judgment. I'm just saying like that's that's kind of the weight of of what's what's going on. I mean, I definitely think when I was younger, I definitely turned to substance abuse to deal with a lot of negative emotion okay so i mean as far as coping mechanisms i definitely used to turn to drugs and alcohol and mm. nowadays bro honestly some days it's just you just got to kind of scrape by yeah um sometimes you got to go out to the shooting range um or out to the desert in my for me because 
eyes and people are weird, you know, when you walk into a shooting range, you look like me, it's, sometimes you get awkward looks, but, mm-hmm. so I go to the desert where I'll do that, you know, I have a family now, my wife helps me decompress, my kids obviously take up all of my emotional energy, so I don't have the emotion, you know, I don't have the energy to give it, man, like, yeah, you know, like, there's definitely days where somebody will say something at work or somewhere else, and it makes me kind of stop and yeah, I'll have like a mini freak out. But, yeah. I mean, thank God I'm still sober, you know? Word. I don't know how, but. Man. Uh, not yeah, us. I mean, it's, but, but I'm not alone, man, and I've had it pretty easy. I think there's a lot of people out there that have had experiences and that'll probably testify to their experience being just as traumatizing, if not more so than mine. Yeah. Do you feel like, you know, being biracial and, and like, having that having that flexibility like do you feel like is it is it a roller coaster just having those moments of privilege and discrimination like at the same time oh my gosh bro like i can't even tell you we could spend hours talking about (laughs) walmart what you mean (laughs) why is walmart the first thing that comes up when it comes to privilege and discrimination (laughs) because i'll be okay here's a perfect example i'll go (laughs) I'll go. <laughs> this is good. So I'll go into Walmart during work, and I wear uh, a pair of travel chinos, you know, like blue f- um, slim fit um, dress pants. Okay. Yeah. Khakis. Work. Blue, you know, or like blue pants, brown shoes, brown brown belt. Okay. Fancy. Like, I see you. Yeah, I see. Nice yeah. Button, you know, I'm out here. Yeah. You know, no big. Uh huh. I'll. I. I will not be bothered. I'll just go do my <laughs> shopping, and I'll just go home. I'll come back same day that night to Walmart, the same store at six o'clock and in a hoodie and a pair of khaki shorts and some flip flops and a hat. And I will be trailed from mm. one end of the store to the other. Wow. Based on nothing more than what I'm wearing. Now, I don't know if that's racial or stereotypical based on appearance. And maybe I'm just tripping, but, um, yeah, man, it's crazy. And then I guess on an, on the other scale is you can be literally having a conversation with somebody and the, the day can be going well. And, it, you know, I, that's that's not really a good example. I guess a good example of, of, of roller coaster moment is when I'm on the phone with um, somebody at work mm-hmm. and it's a nice, you know, elderly white lady. <laughs> and she's really nice. And I'm just, you know, of course, ma'am, I, you know, I, I'd love to blah 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 and then i and then i and then i clock out and i get home and i hop on the xbox and it's nigga this and fuck that and blah 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 and da 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 Mm -hmm. and so and then i go back to work and then i and i switch up to lingo again so i mean who i mean am i two people (laughs) that's i mean when it when it comes to being a a non-white person in America, especially when you're dealing with the the corporate world, especially in sales, like man, it's kind of like, like like you said that that movie where there's black Klansmen or or what is it? Sorry, sorry to bother you. Like if you have somewhat of a black accent, you got to switch it up over the phone. Like you have to do it. You gotta you gotta speak your proper English. And that's one of the things I used to tell people this. Um, like you know, Portland is is hella white, but I, I have a 
right name. So I'm lucky. My name is Austin Schneider. Yeah. Why this name? <laughs> Your name is Emmanuel Williams, dog. Oh, but but people, so they don't know what I am. They always think I'm Hispanic. Oh my god! It's like, oh, oh, do you do you, you speak Spanish? Well? I'm like, right. nah, 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 nah. Right. I'm black. I'm like, oh, oh, I'm right. sorry. <laughs> but but basically, bro, like the with the oh, what was I saying about the the cold switch? <sighs> you were saying, for, I mean, for one earlier, you were saying oh, that we all being no, no, being so being from Portland, so Portland is is super white, and so. If you're black in Portland and you made it out of high school and you and you and you went to college, um, like for me, I went to an HBC. I went to Texas Southern in Houston. And so um, I had an advantage. I had an advantage at school and I also had an advantage when it came to like internships or job interviews, because down there, like I, I wasn't like smarter than nobody or whatever. But like because I could turn on that white voice. I could get jobs easier than other people that was like just from the South, from the South, South, like, you know, Houston, Dallas, Florida, and they got super accent and they're probably just as capable. They are just as capable, if not more. But like when I get in that interview, when I hit them with the white voice and the proper English, bro, I'm just perceived as smarter. And so, yeah, (laughs) hire that man. (laughs) That's a fact, bro. So. It's crazy how like there's there is there is a like that's a little bit of privilege of I have have like a little West Coast privilege uh, as it comes to me being black in the South or whatever. But yeah, that 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 perception is crazy, man. I mean, we could talk about the ways that we as people of color perceive and relegate each other by skin tone. We can talk about how. White people relegate us based on color. Yeah. I mean, I mean, that's 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 what I wanted to get into next, man. So, like, when it comes to your relationship to to black folks, man, like how how does that how does that work out for you? Is it has it been a smooth type of deal or or has it been pretty trying, you know, being judged for being, you know, quote unquote, light skin or being mixed? It's wild, man. Honestly, it's I wish that there was one way to look at it, one experience or. Um, I mean, I've definitely, <clears throat> all the cliche things have always happened. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, um, I would say for the most part, a little bit of teasing when I'm hanging out with all, like all the black guys mm-hmm. in middle school and high school for being the light skinned kid. That's normal. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say women of color have always found me very attractive Mm -hmm. because I have light skin and blue eyes and I'm not sure what that's all about. I mean, you were, you were Jesse Williams before Jesse Williams, bro. So, you know, know, (laughs) how often do you hear that? (laughs) All the time, but that's okay. That's all right. I'll take that one. I mean, you know, my wife, you know, we've been home with the baby for about a month and she's on season 15 of Grey's Anatomy. Wow. with her. You know? Yeah. Um, but so teasing when I was younger, you know, being around, you know, the black guys sometimes, um, you're the cooler one, um, when you're like in middle school because you're half black in some ways, like you're the more streetwise one automatically, (laughs) um, automatic street crit, you know, you're the better one who's better with girls. Um, 
more athletic just just because athletic, you're, you're getting picked first in PE, right? <laughs> yeah, like I was like, why am I getting picked? You know, um, you know, like before you figure this stuff out, you're like, damn, I'm taller, faster, okay, stronger, got it. Um, but for the most part, like in in the in in amongst people of color, it's it's been amazing, man. You know, like yeah, I've, it's, it's it, I'm. My father's of African American descent, and I've always felt that. And so I'm, I'm black. Yeah. You know, you can mix it down however you want, but if if you're if you're if you're of African descent, you're, I mean, maybe you say it's your father. I'm not trying to get all you know, um, bean pie and shit. But like you know, maybe if it's down your father's lineage, but maybe it's your mother's lineage. Who cares? But mm-hmm. basically, my father's black. His family's black. I'm his descendant. I identify as an African American. You know, when I check boxes nowadays, they have boxes that um, back in the day, being multiracial sucked because um, there was only like white, black, Asian, Hispanic. Mm-hmm. So you had to pick one, and depending on the day, like you could just choose. Like I could be like white, black, but honestly, I don't think in my life I've ever chosen black. Or excuse me, white. I think I've always chosen black. Mm. And, and when they started putting multi, choose one or more race, I've chosen white and black. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I'll choose white, black, and Native American because, like I said, my grandmother was, my great grandmother was full blooded Apache Indian. Word. Yeah, man. That's. I've been noticing that. Like now that you know, my son is. Well, he's been in school for a while, but like, you know, you're filling out those papers. And I remember those, you know, when when we were kids, you're right, but it was just black, white, Hispanic, Native American, other, you know. And then now, like, you know, I'm filling out his his paperwork for school and it's like, man, 12. Central American, Hispanic, 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 but American, Hispanic, but not American. Yo, and I'm just like, what? Why do you? What? Look, human, human being, man. Come on now. Like all this other stuff, man. I'm like, why? Why? Why are there so many different categories? Why are they just making stuff up? You know? We've created, we've officially created another dozen official races. Right. Right. Now, now you people exist. You're, you're welcome. Happy? (laughs) Exactly, man. We see you. Right. Right. We have recognized you. You are official now. So tell me, I was going to say, tell me about your whole outlook on race. You know, I was telling you earlier how I just I feel like it's a social construct. I mean, there don't get me wrong. There is some biological differences, of course, if you're someone who is of African descent, as opposed to someone who is, you know, have you have your whole family line from Asia or your whole family line from from Europe or Ireland or something like that. Like, yeah, there's differences. But for the most part, um the way that race plays out politically around the world is more of like a caste system. You know what I mean? That's how I see it. But how do you, how do you see race and how it plays out socially? No, you're right. Um, I think every culture in their own way, if you look or learn about certain cultures, they have their own kind of, um, like in, 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 um, the Latino culture, the central American culture. Um, if you're darker, you're a lower caste. Mm-hmm. You're lighter skin, you're typically richer, taller, more successful, considered more beautiful. Right. And you see that 
in different ways manifested in every race in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess except for white people, they got it down to where they'll start tearing each other about features every which way from there. So maybe they got it the worst. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, in terms of making fun of each other, for our features like no one picks on themselves more than white people i don't think you think so well actually that's not true i think the black woman probably has to deal with the most hatred and lack of respect that should be naturally given right and probably has to live with a large amount of Mm self-hatred um they are the black woman is the most disrespected yeah easily and and they they get it like you said they get it from all sides they get it from everybody even even black men yeah Yeah. and and like you said the self and themselves right and so you know one one of the one of the reasons i know it's crazy bro one of the reasons why they spend so much on, on cosmetics but however it's it's weird because it's like it's it Every no one is who they should be in this world under under the system of white supremacy, right? Everybody's trying to live up to or overcome some stuff that's been placed on them, some type of label, some type of stereotype. Um, but the black woman is the most hated, but she's the most duplicated as well. You know what I mean? And so, you know, you got all these white women uh, or non-black women, you know, getting butt implants trying to trying to get full lips like they want all the attributes of a black woman Where and eat come on bro right who who y'all trying to emulate you know and so stop hating on beyonce right when you're trying to be her and it's just so weird though it's just like so i would i would think um the black woman would like take pride in that i mean it's like they know you know, the black woman knows that they're being duplicated and, and, and copied. Know, but you can't tell them. Yeah. You can't give them the satisfaction. You can't because because nobody's going to listen, bro. Right. Who's going to listen? Who Who's going to validate that right. consistently? Well, we had a woman in, in the first lady for a while who I think just really did a lot of Open that regard as far oh, as yeah. getting exposure for for the power of, of the black woman. For America. sure. Yeah, and man. Michelle held it down for sure. Yeah. Fortunately. So on the whole, man, um, back to your question. Sorry. No, um, you good, you good. Racism. How do I feel about race on the whole in, in this country, in this world, uh, myself? Um if I go all the way back, the first thing I think of when you when, when you say race, as I go back to creation and i don't care whether you believe something started the big bang whether the big bang started itself um or whether life evolved naturally over billions of years or whether god did it and how that timeline played out doesn't matter mm-hmm. so what matters is is that at one point all life on earth all human life on earth was considered humanity at some point, somebody came in and changed all that mm-hmm. and told us that black people, uh, white people were different. And it started with Charles Darwin in many regards. Mm-hmm. Um, 
part of the reason why is because I think from my understanding, I'm not a, I'm not a historian, but my understanding is that Darwin in the origin of species basically said that black man was the closest living relation in the human race to um, the ape. The dark skin and the woolly hair was um, the signifier that that's what told him that we were the closest relation to the ape and that the white man with their fair skin and their light eyes that had left the hotness of Africa to fair lands was the smartest and the most developed human species on earth. And that, from my understanding, um, is what led the Anglo people to begin the slave trade. The international worldwide slave trade, a lot of that had to do with Charles Darwin and mm-hmm. evolution, and the theory thereof. Now, I'm not, don't get the two confused. The origin of species and everything else don't have to be intertwined. But my understanding is that the slave trade is the reason why we have all of this racial stuff in the world. Yeah. That terms were coined for those with dark skin because they were deemed in, you know, inferior and that they could be taken as slaves and that they were of lower intelligence and that they weren't human. Um, the fist of the man. That they were savages. That they were savages. That, you know, <clears throat> and that they were, they were going to, you know, the, the Anglo-Saxon was going to um, be rewarded by God by giving them Christianity. <laughs> you know? So, I mean, it, they were, they were, they were like, you know, making money, doing big business, but also doing a, a very noble act, you know, by, by giving them, giving them the Bible. So, you know, that's, uh, that's where, I mean, and that's what, that's the world we live in today. Yeah. Um, on a finer scale, I think that that, um, those racial issues, those racial identities, I mean, I've been called a mulatto in my life. That mm-hmm. The word mulatto is a Spanish term for somebody who was half black and half white and a slave because they were half, just like a mule, um, was half horse and half donkey. I was a mulatto. And I've been called that to my face by like a very nice person just in conversation when I worked at Trader Joe's. They were like, oh, so are you mulatto? And I was like, no. <laughs> Nope. <laughs> I was like, no, nope, let me stop you right there. Yeah. yeah. And I just told them, you know, and just flat out. And like they were, and that was one less person, one less ignorant person in the world. Yeah. One less naive person who was never going to say that again. And maybe they went home and posted, you know, this is pre-Facebook for the most part, but, <laughs> you know, maybe they went home and told somebody or called somebody and no less people say mulatto. I mean, I think that might be our job. Yeah, man. They, they went on MySpace and was like, hey, guys, oh, guess what happened gosh. to me today? <laughs> you know, embed it with some HTML, some, yeah. <laughs> it's funny, man. Um, I was talking to, I forgot who I was talking to, but they, they were telling me a story and they were... um they were at work and then and then somebody like they were they were working at a at a hotel and this old like 80 something year old looking guy came up white guy he was like um is is the colored young man still here uh he he was really nice i i liked him <laughs> and she was just like did you, you do with that? she was like what did you say? <laughs> colored but it was like and then she went went home and talked to her husband and he was like well you know 
if he's in his 80s or 90s, however old he was, like yeah, nice. that's like that's what they said back then. Like that was yeah. the word, right. you know. <laughs> so I don't think he was trying to use it as a slur, you know. But it's just it's crazy. And when it comes to mulatto, it's like any to me any racial category, especially when it comes to cut, like it's it's disrespect. So just calling me black when that doesn't say nothing about who I am as a person. You just calling me a color. You know what I mean? And and you define what the color means. So in the dictionary, it means all these negative things. Like that's is is disrespectful. Um, I hate that it's founded in disrespect, but I don't know how to break out of it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I don't know what to call. Like I can say colored, I can say Negro, I can say uh, Af African American, Afro American. I don't know, bro. Like it's it's tough, man. I I have I have struggled with that. I have struggled with that, man. Yeah, man. I mean, I, I, I mean, I guess that's. To me, it's just like the the power of words. Like, what does it mean? So if you feel like it's a box, that honestly, there's no, like, that's a box. That's that's a box that was created because I'm thinking right. like, all right, should I really identify with the disrespect? Like, if I. If if my ancestors were never captured and 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 you know sent over on a transatlantic slave trade, um, and we were still in Africa, would we call ourselves black? Like if I'm surrounded by black people, would I call myself a black man? No, no. We didn't even exist until slavery started calling us Negro. Right, exactly. So I would I would identify by my family, by my tribe, you know what I mean. But I wouldn't say I'm black. But the only reason why I say that is because of the white supremacists called me that and they've attached and they have a negative connotation with that. But that's all that I have because they've been they've taken, you know, they've tried to erase our history. The concept, the concept is just mind blowing. It's, like, it's wild. Bro. If you think about it. Yeah, man. Like, why can't you just refer to each other as a man? That would be nice, man. But there's a there's a. A power struggle, not even a struggle for them. It's just a, it's a power play, you know. It's a power play, and uh, yes, yeah, it's, it's a lot of political stuff that goes on with the racial, racial categorization, man. So, do you feel like in this country? Because I feel like in this country, racially, we are probably the least developed for what you may consider. I don't know. This is a very problematic term. But a, like a first world or whatever, a developed nation. <laughs> I feel like we're probably the only country in the world that does this. The only, mm, I would say, I what can't. Yeah, probably I mean, England, yeah, France, maybe. Nah, I, I, South Africa. Just well, South, South Africa is bad, but at least right. South Africa is majority African. You know, like True. like black, real African, not the the European people that just been there for a hundred years or whatever, 200 years. But, um, uh, from what I've heard, Europe is very, like, it's very, is a much better environment for us, especially France. Yeah. That's why they like that song niggas in Paris. Like it, it was a lot of, it, a lot of musicians used to go, like they would come back from, from, yeah. And they, they would come back here and they'd be like, man, like we had it good over there. You know, I've heard many stories. Yeah. And so, um, definitely like the, the, uh, the American brand of racism, you know, other countries around the world learn from us about how to treat people and how to keep people, you know, 
subject to just the whole racial caste system. You Don't know, say we never gave you nothing. <laughs> Come on, man. So, so it's like, yeah, man. So, so I, I don't, I don't have an international experience. I haven't been out of the country, so I can't say, but just based upon other people's observations, uh, I think it would be safe to say that, yeah, you're right, bro. Like when it comes to racial, just whatever, just race relations and, and how people treat people, uh, in America is, is terrible. It's terrible, bro. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, we're the only country that's still making a profit on slavery for the most part. Maybe. Mm, nah, I mean, it's, it's slavery going on all over the world, what bro. About the scale of the way that America has institutionalized. Like there's this new special on Netflix called the 13th. Oh, that ain't new. That ain't new. Oh, that's no, been, no, that's no, been out maybe. for a while. Yeah. See, that's, see, that's, what, see, that's what happens when you have three kids. And you don't <laughs> So it's it's this new show called Blackish Man. It just came on Hulu. Yeah, so but yeah, like it's just it kind of expounds on the concept that literally the Constitution was written to imprison and enslave the black man after slavery was abolished. For sure, through the institutionalized prison system. Yeah, and we are the we, we have what. 35 million people in prison in this country. Something ridiculous. We definitely have way more people in prison per capita than any other country. And it's not even close. And so, and so my meaning by that is <clears throat> in this country, the black man is still very much enslaved for and sure. The government still very much is okay with that. Yeah. I guess what, what I would say, how I would sum it up is like, um, white supremacy is the most refined, like global white supremacy is the most refined here in America. We got the best white supremacy in the world. That's, that's a fact. I would, I, that's, that's what I would say. We have the Man. the best, most refined white supremacy is, is to the point where it's on autopilot and people don't even some, uh, I mean, there's some people that won't even say the word white supremacy. They don't even believe it exists. Like when it's our like people, racism <laughs> to them. yeah, well, they'll, they'll, they'll use the term, racism but they won't say white supremacy because you know what i mean it's as if it, it doesn't exist but um i mean that they're the ones who are making all the laws and making all the rules and everybody that's non-white is subject and subject to those rules not even subject to the rules like they're just at the mercy you know what i mean so i mean there's there's laws on the books that you know there's civil rights laws and there's all these laws on the books that are supposed to protect us you know, I mean, if if you just watched um, when they see us, have you seen that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So it's like there is there's certain laws in place like you're not supposed to be able to um, interrogate a minor without their parent or without a guardian being there. But it's not about like the laws ain't going to save you. Somebody has to enforce the law. So if the, if the people who who uphold the law don't enforce the law when they come to you and they you know, supersede the law, then what does that piece of paper mean to you in that moment? What did that, what did those laws mean to those little boys at that time who got coerced? You know what I mean? So it's just like, that's, that's white supremacy at its finest. You see, you see how they get treated versus how someone with the, with the complexion for the protection, they, they'll get treated totally differently. People don't, people, what people need to understand is, and even as something, even something that I understand as a person uh, as a biracial person <clears throat> is that excuse me, um, 
there is a straight up line between the lives that white people live and the lives that black people live. That's a fact. So I don't think people really understand that or grasp that. And I don't think, I mean, even during this conversation, I think you kind of opened up my eyes to the fact that my experiences as a person of being biracial, me, me being biracial, my little being called a nigger or, or saying my mom's a race trader or being told to, you know, make sure I don't forget my turban before my next business meeting. Like, mm-hmm. that's not me constantly living with the fear that I'm not going to be treated equally because of my skin color. Mm-hmm. I've never had to, I don't constantly live with that. Right. Whereas you, as a person with dark skin, that's life for you. Like you said, you went to H, um, HSBU? H, HBCU. HBCU. Mm-hmm. Um, I dropped out of high school my senior year and started working at Trader Joe's, and I was there for like five years and ended up getting fired and ended up doing all this, drinking a lot, and just getting back into the workforce and selling wine for a couple of years and then moving to, um, I guess I shouldn't say my work corporate name but anyway going to my new my new company and i can edit that out thank you (laughs) so then i I was selling wine for a couple years and then then i go to my new company and now i'm distributing you know for a large beverage organization and i just had to work my way through because i have no college educations but Mm. even for me um i've had and being biracial like obviously didn't help me any because i wasn't I'm not college educated. I'm not wealthy and I don't come from a good family. I'm from a poverty. I'm from a a single mom. Like I was raised by a single mom. I had nothing. Like I slept on the floor most of my life. Mm -hmm. So we all have these awful experiences. And I think sadly, man, like race is going to play into all of it. Yeah. Unless we find a way to change this pattern. Like, a generational pattern that's been put in place by people that are long gone. Yeah. But it's, it's being, it's being upheld and reinforced by the people that are here. And, uh, and that's more more, more than ever. And that's, that's the dangerous part that if, if we as a realize that they don't realize that this is probably the most, like, people don't realize that this is probably the most dangerous time to be a black man in the country ever. I mean, like, in the last 150 years, let's call it. Yeah. Or, excuse me, let's call it post-civil rights era. So the last... Last, last 50, 60 years. years. Last yeah. half century. Yeah. This is the most volatile time to be a person of color in this country, period. Yeah. Like, yeah. They, people need to realize that. Like, it is dangerous based yes. on racial identity. Like, period. Like, you can be shot down in the street, and people don't care. Yeah. Like, wake up. Like, that's reality for people. Yeah, and you you can get shot down by by a police officer, by just a a regular Um, citizen. Yeah. Like, we're not talking about getting, you know, clapped in the street by being stupid Mm -hmm. or anything. We're talking about you can... I can literally be reaching for my legal concealed firearm and be gunned down and never see my kids again. Yeah. Like period. Yep. And no one will care. And the officer will get off. He'll just get reassigned to another district or precinct. That's it. 
They'll be outraged. People will be outraged for a couple weeks, awesome. maybe a month. Yep. Hashtag whatever, and then boom. Yeah. Justice for Austin. Yep. Justice. <laughs> yeah, man. We ain't we ain't getting no justice out here, bro. Well, what do we do, man? Do we get mad or? Man, well, that's a that's a great question. What do we do, man? Um. My my way that I attempt to combat white supremacy is uh, I just got to be constructive, man. Everything, not everything that I do is almost impossible. But as as much as I can, as much as what I'm doing and spending my time, like I want to be adding to my people and adding to my culture, you know, and being the best father, the best husband, raising my kids in a way that, you know, they're they're going to be the best that they can be. And they're proud of. Of, of their father doing what he's doing. Um, but yeah, man, and just, and just being constructive. And so, um, and, and not, and not allowing and not allowing stuff to slide no matter where I'm at, man. Like if, if some, if some teacher says something slick to my kid, like I can't let that slide because if he's, yeah. if, if that, if that teacher says something slick to him, to, to my son, and then he, he or she gets away with it, then he's going to do it to the next person. You know what I mean? So it's just like this, this anytime I counteract or interact with any type of racist or suspect white supremacist activity, bro, like I'm calling it out and I'm nipping it in the bud every time. And that's, that's all I can do. Uh, or that's not all I can do, but that's, that's what I'm doing right now. You know, yeah. I unfortunately was in that same situation. I had uh, a coworker who, um, at, at one point in a previous organization who continually, uh, repeatedly, just made racial remarks mm-hmm. about my beard, about my appearance, about my hair, this or that. Wow. You know? And eventually I had to, I had to write him up. Yeah. You know? Like, I'm sorry. I love you. Like you're a nice old guy and I understand this is who you are and that's okay. I'm not asking you to change, but you need to know that this isn't okay mm-hmm. with me. Like, I don't care about whether you think it's PC or not. What I'm telling you is that this isn't okay with me. Yeah. That's a fact. And it has to start there. Yeah. And I think you touched on something really important, which is um, sometimes the only change we can make is with our own family. So if you have friends, if you have family, if you have coworkers, um, those are the people that you can affect. Right. Positively. Yeah. So we have an obligation to do so, whether it's your children, your wife, your friends, your coworkers. Um, we just have to kind of be the example. And I think hopefully as more and more people become, um, I'm about to say woke, but, um, <laughs> it'll become easier and it won't be so frequent. But I think right now we're, we have a lot of work ahead of us. Definitely ton of work, man. It's, it's never going to stop, but you know, we gotta, we can't give up. We can't just stop. We gotta, gotta keep going. And also, you know, pass that knowledge and information to our kids so that they continue it as well. So that it, it generates, so it doesn't just fall lost on the, on the generation. Um, but what I, what I wanted to kind of close with is just with, with you and, and where you're at, like what, whatever identity struggles that you had, uh, or whatever conflict you had internally, like had, have they been resolved and how did you come to that resolution? <clears throat> yeah. Um, you know, to be honest, man, it's it's helped a lot 
um, to become more educated on being biracial. Um, technology has helped in the last, you know, 15 years, I would say. Mm-hmm. So I would say from about the time that I was a teenager, I started to shape who I was racially. Mm-hmm. I wasn't, um, no, this is brutal truth, man, but like I learned how to be, um, like some kind of, uh, some kind of subconscious system that I created to be black enough, white enough, mm-hmm. but not too black for my white friends, not too black for my white friends, or, you know, vice versa. Yeah. Um, it's a dance that you play. And, um, I think as I've gotten older, I've just given up the dance, man. Mm. Um, I'm just going to have to be me because I don't have the energy to be anybody else for somebody else. Like I have too much going on in my day now. <laughs> That's a fact, bro. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. I am who I am. And if yeah. you want to follow me through Walmart, you, wanna, <laughs> you don't like my beard. I'm sorry, but like, this is just who I am. And it's who I have to be. And you know, my kids love me for it. And you know, fuck it, you gonna love me for it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's it, bro. Like you That's just, it. you just choose your path, and you just put your foot in the ground and just go. Yeah. That's it. That's beautiful. You can't. You, yeah. You don't have time, man. Life yeah. is short. Like you can't. Yeah. You know the the funny thing about all this race stuff, man, is like, obviously, it's it's superficial. It's it's highly problematic, but it's like once we get over that hurdle of dealing with the race stuff and dealing with the anger of it, like there's so much more to life that we can that we can focus on that we should be focusing on. And at the end of the day, even with all these struggles, man, life is amazing, bro. Yeah. You know, like life is beautiful. Like I'm, we are lucky to be living, lucky to be human beings. We could have been anything. We're human beings, bro. We have a brain. We have consciousness. Like there's so much to be thankful for. There's so much to have gratitude about when it comes to life. Um, and it, it just sucks that we have to deal with this identity piece and, and the racial classifications and trying to fit in this box that we check and trying to fit in culturally with you know, what is perceived as black culture or Hispanic culture or, oh man, I was, I was, I'm, I'm Mexican, but I was born in America and I don't speak Spanish. So I'm not accepted. Like all those type of things that, you know, we, we go through socially, like it sucks that we have to go through it. But at the end of the day, man, life is beautiful, bro. Yeah. That's, that's how I see it, man. Yeah, you're right. Word. Word, man. Well, <laughs> shoot, man, I always like to uh, wrap up my episodes with the Fab Five, man. Five questions that I ask everybody. Actually, five five plus one. You mind if I add if I if I add one additional question on this one? Shoot it. All right, man. So first question, I have to preface it with, uh, what is your favorite genre of music? Whew. Flat out. <clears throat> yeah. Classical. Ooh, okay. First time. So what artists? Or album made you fall in love with classical music? Um, it was Vivaldi's Four Seasons. Mm, 
sounds fancy. I don't know nothing about that, bro. Yeah. <laughs> let me uh let me is he on Spotify? Hold on. Let's, let me yes. see. Okay. Vivaldi Four Seasons. Why that? Uh my mom used yeah. to listen to classical music in the house when she cleaned. Where Hey, that'll that'll get you, bro. Whatever your mom listened to when you was a kid. <laughs> uh-huh. I know. Oh man. Wow, four seasons. Okay, it's got a few different versions. Let me see what I got here. This here? Is this the or is this the remix? No, that's it. That's it. Where? Mmm. Okay. All right, I'm gonna have to check them out. Listen later. Where? All right, question number two. Is there a movie that has changed your outlook on life? Uh, my outlook on life. Mm-hmm. Oof, that's a tough one. I'm a big movie buff, man. So I'm trying to think of my favorite movies. Which one of them's actually changed my life? Ap- Avatar didn't change my life. Mm-mm. Training Day didn't change my life. Mm. Gladiator didn't change my life. Mm. Um, the Nutty Professor change your life? It did not. Nope. Okay. Neither did the Casino mm. or Casino mm-hmm. or Goodfellas or the Hurt Locker. Mm. Napoleon Dynamite. No. Didn't change my life. Mm. Goodness, this is a tough one. The Matrix. <sighs> Didn't change my life. Mm. <sighs> you know, and there's a movie when I was a kid um, called The Black Stallion. Mm. Or was it Black Beauty? Anyway, it's a movie about a boy who gets stranded on an island with a horse. Mm-hmm. And it's the only thing in the world that he has is this horse. I'm not going to give away the movie, but that movie, when I was a kid, was probably one of the only ways as a kid who had very little to see adventure mm. to a child my age. Wow. I think a little older than me. But I will say that movie, whether it's Black Beauty or the Black Stallion, you don't have to look it up, but it's really good. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That's what's up. And so now that um, Old Town Road, that song is out, you're rocking with that, right? Yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I'm rocking with Lil Nas right now pretty yeah. heavy. Yeah. I mean, especially since he came out, I think we need to just, um, you know, I'm a, our man is a young black entrepreneur who's also um, openly homosexual mm-hmm. or asexual, pansexual, who knows. Wait, so hey, what, what, what did he say? I've been hearing like little stuff about it, but I don't even know what he actually said about that. I think he basically just kind of came out on Twitter and said, I thought it was obvious. <laughs> like, I'm gay. Like there's rainbows in all my music videos and like, um, album cover imagery. You guys, I just been trolling you guys. Mm. So it's kind of amazing that we have some of the most prejudiced people in the country, most supremacist people in the country <laughs> listening to country radio and their pickup trucks with Confederate flag. <laughs> listening to a gay 19 year old black guy's music so i thought you know we're, we're supporting little nas heavy over the this. irony the irony the is irony heavy is heavy yeah with this one. <laughs> <laughs>
That's funny, man. Uh, question number three. When you feel overwhelmed, how do you de-stress? That's tough for me right now. Um, my wife just had our third kid a month ago. Um, I put my dog down, my 12 and a half year old dog down yesterday. Man, my wife yeah. had surgery the day before, two days before that. It's a lot going um, on, man. It's tough. It's been a challenging season for us. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, I feel overwhelmed. And what I do when I get overwhelmed is I ask myself, basically, is this a real feeling or is this something that I'm creating? Mm, that's good. So a lot of times when you start to feel depressed, or overwhelmed or anxious, um, we get overcome by those feelings mm-hmm. and we fail to realize that there's something that's making us feel this way and mm-hmm. we don't acknowledge it. We pity ourselves, but we don't just say, wow, I'm really overwhelmed. Like, that's why I feel this way. Mm-hmm. Like, if, like I'm really tired. Like, of course I feel this way. Mm-hmm. Just be okay with it. It's really important for people to just be okay with not being okay yeah in a lot of ways right now yeah and i'm finding that i'm learning that more and more myself Mm -hmm. um just being okay with not being okay um you know yeah i feel that yeah yeah as long as you can you know live another day and and get another chance at it you know that's that's a win i mean I mean, honestly, like, what do we, you touched on it earlier. What do we have to complain about? Um, mm-hmm. You're alive. Like, I'm alive. Like, I have working legs and limbs and healthy children and a wife and a job. Like, I have nothing to complain about. Yeah. You know, like, life is busy, but life is beautiful. Like, we get this life. Yeah. Like, your life is not a burden. Like, your kids are not a burden. Mm-mm. Like, this is all what you've wanted for so long. Remember that. And that also helps when I get overwhelmed, you know? Yeah. Stop thinking of everything as a burden and start thinking of stuff as a blessing. That's a fact, man. It's a big fact. It's it's funny because I was, you know, I've been doing a lot of of reading lately and just watching certain people on YouTube that I I really admire. And um, I think it was like Dr. Bruce Lipton or something. Um, He was talking about, like, the brain and... uh, he said, it's, it's funny how like we as humans, we get we get stressed out and like we're, we pray to God or we just we just wish that, you know, the stress would just go away. And a lot of the stress is in our mind. Now, what distinguishes us as humans from animals is that we have uh, we have that cognition. You know what I mean? And so we're conscious of it. Yeah, we, we have that consciousness. And so the same like we have that stress. But we we can also change that. Like we can change our thoughts. We can change our brain chemistry. We can we can actually do away with that. And so it's like when we're when we're asking to not have stress and not have these thoughts weigh me down. It's like you're you're asking to not be human. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, yo, do you really want to just be a, a machine? You just want to not know what you know what these feelings are. You know because it's it's a blessing at the end of the day. Like. The fact that you have a bad day, that means you know what a good day is and you know how great a good day feels. Dang. So I don't know, man. Dang. 
that's important. Important. It's yeah, very important, man. Very important. Perspective you is everything. You have good days without the bad days. Yeah, you wouldn't even know the difference. <sighs> that's important. It's important, man. So, question number four: If you woke up tomorrow and found out that you won the lottery for a hundred mil, how would you spend your money and your time from that day first, forward? I mean, the first thing that come to my mind is this: Is it is it fifty after tax? Uh, it, it it'll be after tax. You'll probably be at like. 55, 60, 60, okay. 60, 55, something like that. Yeah. So I got 60 million. Mm-hmm. What's the question? How, how would you spend your money and your time from that day forward? Oh man. What I would do is put all of it. Well, like I put all of it in the bank. First of all, like mm. I put all of it in the bank mm-hmm. or at least like say, can you hold on to this for me? <laughs> while I figure out what to do with it because mm-hmm. I'm gonna spend this <laughs> and so then um, I pay off all my wife's debt buy her a new car and then pay off all my debt all my student loans all her student loans all my car payment whatever um, pay off our house put a hundred thousand dollars or two hundred and fifty thousand I put a million dollars into each of my kids accruing college tuition fund mm-hmm. with interest. Um, and then I put the rest in a trust mm-hmm. in their name. Um, and wise man, um, get an advisor <clears throat> on fast and slow term investments to take a portion of it to accrue interest and gain value over time. Mm-hmm. And I would play with that money. Mm. I would never play with the, 50,000, the 50 million I still had in the bank. Mm. And I might buy a new cup, new house and a Lamborghini, you know, <laughs> just to stunt on y'all one time. One time. You gotta, you gotta treat yourself, man. Yeah. You gotta you treat yourself. Looking like a bum. 60 mil. <laughs> or you could, or you could be you like, could. you could be like, uh, Warren Buffett. Oh, he don't look like a bum, but you know. Warren Buffett is still living the same old house in Nebraska. You know what I mean? He's just chilling. He does. Yeah. He drinks his Dr. Pepper and has a sandwich every day for lunch. <laughs> and, you know, my man's cooling right now. Word. All right. Uh, question number five. What message do you want communicated at your eulogy? That I know I wasn't perfect, but I promise I did my best. Mm-hmm. Simply put, that's it. That's beautiful, bro. What more could you ask for? That's it, man. Yep. The plus one. Please. If you could choose any one celebrity as your life coach, who would it be and why? Man, probably Will Smith or The Rock. Mm. Right now. That's a tough one. Mm. You gotta That's pick one. one. You gotta pick Did one. You say celebrity? Celebrity, yeah. Does Barack Obama count as a celebrity? Uh, sure, yeah. Barack Obama. Barack, okay. Why? Why Barack? Because, man, he like that's it. Like he's the right choice. <laughs> <laughs> he's not on campaign anymore. You don't have to say those things about him. <laughs> he's the right choice. I mean, maybe he's not the right choice. He's the politician. But like, I don't want to pick a celebrity because they're an entertainer. You know, mm. Brock has real life application. I know the rock does, 
but I know Will Smith does. But Barack took that knowledge and turned it into changing the world. Yeah. So I'm going to have to say if I could have one man by my side for the next 20 years, it'd be him. That's dope. I would not I would not go against that, bro. Like that's a great choice. <laughs> that is a great choice, sir. <laughs> yeah, that's a great choice. <laughs> I approve this message. Um but man, lastly, bro, uh how can the people holler at you, get a hold of you on the socials if they want to reach out and tell you how much you've affected their life by just by sharing your story, man. How, how can they holler at you? Yeah, please, uh by all means, man, just um my socials, my IG is uh, at Benjamin.Barson, a.k.a., you know, I'm just kidding. It's Benjamin.Barson <laughs> uh, in, in in honor of the illustrious Ben Carson, ironically. <laughs> it's a joke. Uh, um, just jokes, guys. Just jokes. Just jokes. And then uh, just Austin Schneider on Facebook. I'm on there. Where, where any, uh, any pardon words for the people, man? No, I just, I really appreciate you reaching out to me, man. And I, I hope that I didn't ramble too much or incoherently babble about uh, um, my experience. But yeah, I really appreciate you taking the time to, to um, bend an ear. No doubt, man. I, I appreciate you for reaching out and coming on. And I definitely learned a lot in this conversation. This has been too long, bro. I hate that. Like, Sometimes a podcast is what brings me together with people I ain't talked to in years, man. But it's, something is better than nothing, though. Let's link up, man. I'll be in town for Labor Day. Oh, for sure. Yeah, we're going to make something happen. For sure. All right, y'all. Once again, it's the Socks and Sandals podcast where society, culture, history, and religion collide. And we unapologetically discuss our worldviews. Holla at y'all next week. Grace and peace. Mm -hmm.